In a city like New York, it's hard to imagine anywhere that's not bustling with people. But a new book explores sections of the city, Queens in particular, that are much less traveled. Hi, I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. In his new book, Abandoned Queens, Richard Panchik takes us to places that are a bit off the beaten trail, like the old Flushing Airport site, and what he calls the lost neighborhood of Edgemere in the Rockaways. Richard is with us now on the phone. Richard, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you again for having me. So how did this book come about? Well, this book is a direct descendant of my previous book, Hidden History of Queens, where I talked about some uh, events and people and places in Queens history that were little known. And it actually led me to looking more closely at some of these locations and really getting into more of the reasons why these places were uh, abandoned and um, just focusing on things and, and places that were left behind and that there are still traces of for us to see. And whereas in my other book, it was mainly text with, with photos, this book is largely photos with uh, information and captions and uh, full-color pictures. So I think it's uh, a lot more fun to take this journey. And a journey it was. You actually went out and you explored these abandoned places, right? I did, and some of them I had been to already for uh, when I was working on Hidden History, and some of them I had not, and some of them I went back to. And um, it's just a fun adventure to go to these places and see them in person. And uh, that's what I try to convey in the photographs, is to bring the reader there with me and, and show details and perspectives that are interesting and exciting. This book features nine abandoned sites. One of them is the Long Island Motor Parkway. You describe it as the longest abandoned site in the book. It's also the earliest example of reuse. Right, and this uh, this is a site that I first started. It's, it's maybe one of the sites in the book that I studied for the longest time because I had originally studied this back with my book, Hidden History of Long Island. Uh, the Motor Parkway was built in you know Nassau, Suffolk counties, and in Queens. So I started looking at it back in uh, 2015 when I was working on the first book, and then I looked at it more with the second book, and now I looked at it again with Abandoned Queens. What's the history and, of the Motor Parkway? Well, the Motor Parkway is an interesting uh, place because... It's a his, it was a historic highway. It was really the nation's first concrete highway, uh, modern highway, and it was created by a wealthy, very wealthy uh, member of the Vanderbilt family, William K. Vanderbilt, uh, who you know whose line goes back to Commodore Vanderbilt, um, the one who was responsible for building Grand Central Terminal, the original one, but. Vanderbilt was an automobile enthusiast at a time when cars were not really very popular. This was 1900, and he already had a collection of uh, automobiles. And he was driving around the local roads uh, on Long Island. And he was the one who created the, the Vanderbilt Cup race, which was consisted of people who raced the cars on the local roads, the existing roads, the dusty dangerous, curvy 
fact, you know, Vanderbilt realized that this was not, these roads were not made for cars. These roads were built for horse and wagon. And so he really had no choice, he felt, but to do something about it. He had the money. So he funded the creation of this highway that began construction in 1908 out in Nassau County and then extended further east and west from there, and it went into Queens by around, I think it was around 1912, it was already in Queens. And this highway was uh, limited access, and all the crossings uh, over other roads or railroads were either above or below grade. So it was really, uh, there was no stopping. You could go straight through, and you paid a toll, and this was really a, a novelty. It was really for the rich people at that point because those were the people with the cars. When did this motor parkway stop being a motor parkway? Well, by the 1930s, things were changing. And if you know anything about cars, you know that you know the, the cars in 1908 were a lot slower and, than the ones that were being built in the 1930s. And besides that, you had the Grand Central slash Northern State Parkway that was being built. And so, uh, and, and you know, there was also, uh, this this was a toll road, and there were now being highways being built that were not toll roads that were free and that were built for cars of this size and this speed. So the motor parkway was kind of uh, on its way to being obsolete, and it was abandoned in 1938. So that's a long, long time ago. And, and when I say it was one of the first examples of reuse, the section in Queens, a big piece of the section in Queens was purchased by the city and was championed for use as a bike path. And that is the section that I have pictures of in the book. Is that a widely used bike path these days? It is still fairly widely used. And now it's it's also a walking path. It's a bike path. It's a roller skating path, whatever you want to, to call it. Uh, but the interesting thing is that the when you're on that path, it feels like you're in some rural place because uh, of all the trees surrounding and lining that stretch of road. And it's very kind of a calming effect. So you can almost imagine it's pretty much the way it was back then, in, in back in the 1910s and 20s, the appearance of it. And it's been preserved very nicely, that whole stretch. What are some of the things you captured in your exploration of this site? Uh, well, the interesting thing is that, again, you know, this is a this is a New York City uh, park property, so you know the, the the upkeep is mainly to keep the road, um, you know, in reasonable shape. But along the side of the path, you'll see some of the old concrete posts that lined the original road, and you'll see other little bits and pieces of the original infrastructure that was part of the motor parkway, including sometimes, you know, there may be a trace of an on-ramp or an off-ramp. And there are several bridges that are still, uh, original bridges that are still in existence in that section of the parkway. And that is unique because of, of the about, I think it was 65 bridges originally on this motor parkway. There are only a few left intact, and mainly those are the ones within the park in Queens. 
Now, you yourself are a native of Queens, right? Correct. I am from Elmhurst, which itself has a long and storied history. You say in the book that growing up in Queens, you thought abandoned railroad tracks were the kind of thing pictured in the distant ghost towns of the Wild West. But you were mistaken, right? I was very mistaken. And all along, uh, there were abandoned tracks just a couple of miles from where I was living at the time. So I didn't know that at the time. But uh, in researching this book, I came to learn of the Rockaway branch of the Long Island Railroad that has been abandoned now for over 50 years and runs basically um, south from roughly Queens Boulevard. It was a branch off down toward the Rockaways. And uh, it was this amazing discovery to me to, to find that these tracks were there and that they'd been unused. And to, to just uncover the whole history uh, of this and the ongoing question of whether anything will be done with this property. Yeah, what is the history of the Rockaway Beach branch? Who did it serve? When did it go into service? When did it go out of service? Like many things in my book, you know, that there's a cycle of life for all of these places. And I think the one thing that most of these abandoned sites have in common is simply that they were all extremely popular or widely used at one time or another, and then things change. So with this branch, you know, go operating in the early part of the 20th century, it was a good way for people in Queens to get to the Rockaways. But then with the subway coming to the Rockaways, it was really not as necessary anymore. So it was abandoned. And the um, questions lately have been, you know, should this be made into some kind of park? And there's been for years now talk about converting the right-of-way into parkland. Are the tracks from the Rockaway Beach Branch what's featured on the cover of your book? That is absolutely what's featured. I thought this was a very um, photogenic uh, scene that I stumbled onto here because you have these rails that are clearly... They're clearly abandoned. You see trees growing even in and among them, but yet, you know, it's it's kind of eerie because the rails seem to just go straight into nothing and into this forest. But what you don't realize is that you're basically in Forest Hills there uh, in this picture, which is kind of crazy to think. Uh, if anybody, if you know Forest Hills, you you know, it's crazy to think that this can be found in the heart of Queens, this abandoned scene. That photo was also taken in what looks like late fall or early winter. The trees are barren. Was that strategic on your part to get a better image of the rails without the trees? Let's say yes, because I like your interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it is. The, the, this is a true. This is an interesting point you brought up. Is that one thing about abandoned places is that they look different with every season, and in some cases, I do have. I did have the fortune to go back through various seasons. Uh, like with Creedmoor, I, I went there several, many times, different seasons. But it's a completely different story uh, when you see it in the fall versus the winter versus the spring, summer. You know, what's what's bare in this picture? Imagine in the summer how overgrown and green everything is and almost impassable with all the vines and the, and the trees and probably very 
well shaded with all the leaves on the trees, too. You mentioned Creedmoor. We're talking about the Creedmoor Psychiatric Center. You say in the book that it's the most haunting, eerie, abandoned place in all of New York City. And I think that's a fairly uh, accurate, on-point statement. I'll stand by that. Um, Creedmoor, and again, like several places in the book, um, you know, this is New York City, so you will get abandoned places that are kind of right next to uh, adjacent to um, places that are, you know, in use still. And what's eerie about Creedmoor is that within the old Creedmoor campus, and uh, now there is a high-rise Creedmoor building that basically houses all of the patients in one shot. But the old Creedmoor campus consisted of dozens of buildings, and some of these buildings are now being used by agencies, uh, city-state agencies, or nonprofits, and other buildings remain completely abandoned. So the, the juxtaposition of the eerie, old, abandoned with the new is sometimes more kind of frightening and, and disturbing than if you just wandered onto some abandoned place that was by itself. Yeah, no question about that. When you look at the photos in your book, it's hard to imagine that anyone would even go to work on that campus in any way, shape, or form. Right. And I think, you know, uh, I could have spent some real estate showing pictures of the uh, reused buildings and the newer stuff, but I wanted to really focus on what's there that's abandoned. And it is interesting because there is one building that's very widely used, and it's only mere, you know, a couple hundred feet away from one of the most notorious buildings, at least among the urban explorers uh, in in New York City, which is Building 25. But it's an interesting, certainly an interesting place to work for those who work there. And a lot of the, I've seen people leave food for the many stray cats. There's a colony of stray cats living in the abandoned buildings, and I've seen some of the people who work nearby leaving food and talking to me about all the cats that are there. There are lots. So what makes Building 25 so interesting? I guess it's interesting because of it's uh, one of the buildings that definitely housed patients and that there are definitely some eerie remains that, that were just kind of left behind. I believe that one of the pictures in the book is a wheelchair that was photographed in Building 25. So a lot of what you'll see, they're just things, it's, it's, it's an interesting situation because it looks in many cases like literally people just up and left and dropped everything. And I think there's a picture of the, of the greenhouse in my book with a very colorful picture, but there's pots just turned over and lining the floor and there's equipment and it's just, it's just odd. It feels like, you know, kind of like the end of the world scenario. People just dropped everything and ran. Hard to imagine in a city like New York where real estate is really a hot commodity that you have these places that sit like that. In several of these cases, it's it's public property, and that is really the issue and the reason. Um, you know, if it's owned by the city or the state, then it becomes a question of who has the money to do something about this. And as we all know, it, you know, um, demolishing a building can be quite expensive. So
So it's cheaper if if there is no plan, if there's no plan in place to do something with the property, then just demolishing it is not worthwhile. And redeveloping can be expensive as well. So it creates this kind of situation where, you know, rather than burden the taxpayers, the state or the city leaves the property as is. And it is interesting, though, to see so many acres of, of land in the city that are just kind of untouched. That takes us to Edgemere in the Rockaways, which you describe as the most hauntingly bizarre place you visited. It is. Um, and I have in the book a an aerial view that was taken some years ago that shows how you know crowded and how developed the neighborhood was. This neighborhood in the Rockaways that fronted the beach for dozens of blocks along the beachfront. And this neighborhood was uh, once a kind of paradise, and as many places in the city, as happened with many places in the city, it kind of turned uh, the corner and turned, uh, made a turn for the worse and became kind of a blighted area such that the city wanted to buy all of the land and condemn and, and demolish because there was crime and there was it was dirty it was there was crime it was just unsafe conditions the houses were falling apart so that was done uh about 50 years ago and since then the site most of the site and there are corners of this area that are had started to be developed but most of the site remains this interesting wasteland that is still showing signs of the original infrastructure that existed, the streets that are named and numbered with signs, the fire hydrants, the sidewalks. Those are the remnants that you'll find in this neighborhood. But you'll also get, so that's the, that's the first layer of abandon. But what people are doing and have been doing here is bringing their garbage and dumping it. And I'm not just talking about a bag of garbage from the kitchen. I'm talking about contents of houses, and, and there is a boat there at one point I saw. So people are literally dumping things that they would otherwise have to pay to, you know, pay a, a carter to take away. They're just coming here and dumping entire rooms of houses, and it's kind of eerie to walk down an abandoned street and find somebody's house sitting there on the side. With the street signs and the sidewalks and the roads, wow, does it sound like New York City's ghost town, quite literally. It really it really would qualify as New York City's ghost town. I mean, we deserve a ghost town, and I think that one, uh, that area certainly qualifies. And this is not, a, you know, there are some places in the book that I would say don't, maybe don't try to visit yourself. Too but dangerous. this place is certainly one where anybody could go because when you get when you get to the south uh, end of this area, you're you're basically on the beach, hmm. and suddenly you've emerged from this abandoned, empty wasteland, and then there you are, and there's the boardwalk, and you see people jogging and pushing strollers, and it's kind of an an odd juxtaposition, but. It's right there. It's right on the beachfront in the Rockaways, so it's easily accessible for anybody. 
The book features two forts, Fort Tilden and Fort Totten. Let's start with Fort Tilden, which you describe as the most remote abandoned place in Queens. Yeah, when you think about when you think about the Rockaways, you know, it's it's interesting to realize just how far south you are when you're in the Rockaways. And when you look at the map, you know, you'll see that you're really further south than than parts of Brooklyn and other places. It's interesting and certainly takes a long time to get there. Um, but that is ex- exactly why there was a fort built there, because it's on the water and it's remote. And this was, again, this was an active fort, an army installation, which had, you know, gun batteries. And you don't want to have that around the corner in your local neighborhood. That has to be kind of removed from everyone else. And it was. And it it existed for a good 50 years uh, or so before it was uh, abandoned, decommissioned. So what purpose does Fort Tilden serve today? Well, it's part of um, National Park now, so Jacob Reese uh, Park. So in that respect, you can wander around there, and it's totally legitimate. It's, it's a park. And again, you know, this is kind of a landmark situation, so there's no need for the government to come in and demolish anything. There's still ruins of the old buildings there. And as with uh, Creedmoor, there is some reuse going on. There are some of the buildings that were in good condition that were part of the installation are now being reused by agencies or nonprofits that are serving the local community. So that's when you first arrive near the parking lot. But then when you walk further along the path, into the heart of this preserve, you'll find more of these ruins, including the old gun battery. We all know of LaGuardia, and we all know of JFK, but how many people know of the old Flushing Airport? Some people would know if they were around uh, as, early, as recently as the 70s. But Flushing, yeah, Flushing Airport, you know, Queens used to have a number of airports because you may know that the cradle of aviation was NASA in Nassau County. That was where Lindbergh took off from. But before that, that was where uh, Glenn Curtis had uh, an airport, and that's where some of the early flights took place in 1909, 1910. But what people don't realize is that by the 1920s, people were really, um, you know, they wanted to be able to fly and not have to go all the way out to Nassau County. So they really it was really a good time for airports to be built in Queens because it was easier for New Yorkers to get to. So several airports opened, and Flushing Airport was one of them. Flushing Airport uh, up near College Point, and, you know, I show in the book some aerial views, some satellite photos showing, you know, how it looked over the years and the progression. But Flushing Airport served its purpose, and once LaGuardia was built, it somehow managed to survive, unlike some of the other airports in the area. But ultimately, you know, there were complaints about noise and, and there were safety complaints because planes were flying low and there were crashes. So it did eventually close. And since then, the area has been abandoned and, again, waiting for some future reuse. But it's actually quite beautiful, right? Almost like a nature preserve. It, it, it had always had issues with flooding, 
because of its location on the water and because it was built on land that was kind of marshy to begin with. So once it was abandoned, uh, nature really took over, took back. And this is one thing about abandoned places, as you saw on the cover of the book and as you see in other photos, um, nature will just take back what was taken from it. And that's what happened here. And it looks almost like some kind of scene out of, you know, the, mid, the Midwest or something with a prairie, you know, with the tall grasses. But that is where, in the, in the photos, that is where beyond there, somewhere in there is the remnants of the runway for Flushing Airport. Let's go back and talk about the fort that we didn't talk about, and that's Fort Totten. Yeah, Fort Totten. I like the fact that these forts are on the opposite sides, you know, opposite um, north and south of Queens. This Fort Totten is on the north, and it dates back much further than Fort Tilden, going back to the Civil War era. So, you know, in the Civil War, there was uncertainty. You know, nobody knew where the Confederate uh, forces would get to and how they would attack or would there be some kind of sabotage. So even as far north as here and, and further north, that it was important to have defense against the uh, enemy. So this fort was built with that purpose, but it didn't just end there. It, it was continued uh, as, a, as an army base after that. And, you know, into the 20th century, it was very active a lot of buildings on the campus, and um, like many of the sites in the book, eventually it just kind of fell out of use, and again, it's one of those places in the book where uh, many of the buildings have been reused by city agencies and are currently occupied, while others were not. So one of the things that is a theme in abandoned exploration and photography is nothing is permanent things change and from visit to visit there will be noticeable differences and in some cases it's for the worse you know things will fall apart more and in some cases it's for the better and things will be reused and in the, in the case of Fort Totten one of the old buildings that was crumbling and looked like it was about to fall apart when I went back a couple of years later it was being refurbished and was going to be reused as a sort of museum, I think it was. And so there is hope for some of these places that eventually funds come through and eventually these old buildings will be reused. And it was good to see from that perspective, yet part of me was mourning the loss of an abandoned place. It's, I know it's silly to say, but... That hasn't been the case, though, with the site of Samuel Lord's suburban experiment. That place is still pretty much sitting there doing nothing, although there is a staircase to nowhere. Right, and that's an interesting... Uh, being being at Elmhurst site, from, uh, from whence I hail, especially interested in this story, uh, Samuel Lord, as you may or may not know, was the founder of Lord & Taylor Department Stores with his partner, Taylor, and um, he lived in the city, but he did love Queens, and he loved it so much that he built a house in Elmhurst, which was then Newtown. Uh, and he actually commuted. He was like one of the first commuters. <laughs> he commuted from Manhattan to his house out in the countryside in Queens. And uh, he was also a real estate, uh, dabbled in real estate, and, and his idea was to create this kind of model community for the modern suburb 
and he built several houses, and these were large houses, and he intended them to be kind of a model for development of Queens, I guess, mainly. And unfortunately, his idea didn't really pan out. Um, the houses that were intended to be used by single families wound up becoming apartments because they were so big and because of real estate prices. And eventually, one by one, they were demolished, including the last one, which was demolished in 2006, I think. But there was still a, a piece of it left, just a piece. And that piece was demolished when an apartment building was going up next to, adjacent to that site. But what happened with the apartment building is something went wrong and the funding stopped because the apartment building was abandoned. So there is still a piece of a staircase, the original, one of the original staircases for one of these old Samuel Lord houses that as of about a year ago when I was there last was still there. And that apartment building is also still abandoned, right? Yes, as far as I know. And that's, it's, it's always interesting when one abandoned place is the reason that another one is preserved. And there's a lot of these ironies throughout the book as you look at the photos and you read the stories. It's abandoned places are rich with odd histories that have been the reason that they survived all this time. And it's sometimes luck and it's sometimes fate, and, but it's always interesting. Richard Panchik, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. The book is Abandoned Queens. The author is Richard Panchik. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bolarki. My thanks to producer Maddie Bristow. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. If you liked this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to Cityscape on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to Cityscape on Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at WFUV Cityscape to stay up to date between episodes. Thanks so much for listening. 